We pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray, as Jesus says at the end there, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the wonderful truth of your word and that it might transform us as we live as disciples of Christ in the world. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you remember uh, last week we started this series on the church. What is the church? And uh, last week, as we looked at Paul's uh, opening words to the church in Corinth, we saw that the church is uh, uh, the gathered people of God. The the word church from the Greek ecclesia, meaning a a gathering of people. And we saw that these gathered people are people whom God has chosen, whom God owns uh, whom God sets apart, they're a holy people, uh, and whom God uh, gives birth to their gathering through the gospel, that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, his life, death and resurrection, this is the the foundation stone and the the birthing uh, story of the gathered people of God, the church. I thought this week, uh, the, 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 the next question at least that came to to, to my mind as we think, okay, well, that's what the church is, but, but actually, who is the church? Because there's a lot of people out there, aren't there, uh, who uh, claim to be the church. W- what is it that you ought to look for when you're trying to determine if you're part of a church? Is it simply the place where they meet? Is it the name that they give themselves? What is it that determines whether a church is a church and whether we are really part of the gathered people of God. It's an important question, isn't it? Because in this day and age, there's a whole bunch of people out there who can claim to be the church. Let me take some examples from our own Anglican brethren. Supposedly, the Reverend Dr. John Shepherd, who was the former Dean of the Cathedral in Perth and was recently appointed by the Archbishop of Canterbury to be the Anglican's representative to the Vatican. Surely this guy's part of the church. Let me quote to you from his sermon he gave at Easter, uh, not this last Easter, but uh, a couple of Easter's ago. We need to challenge the belief that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was a physical resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus ought not to be seen in physical terms. It is important for Christians to be set free from the idea that the resurrection was an extraordinary physical event that restored to life Jesus' physical body. Preach to the cathedral by a man dressed in all his finery who holds a job representing a church to a church. Does that make him part of the church when he says things like that? Or take uh, the self-described father, Rod Bow, who's an Anglican archdeacon in the Diocese of Newcastle and runs a sort of semi-famous church, the Anglican Church in Gosford. You've probably seen the signs that they put up. And he puts up some good stuff every now and again. But let me read you uh, some of the things that he has publicly stated. For far too long, he says, 
We have been obsessed about Jesus' death as being a payment to God for the insult of human sin. I don't really believe in heaven and hell, at least not in the traditional sense. If there is a heaven, it must be like the Mardi Gras, everyone just being totally themselves. Interesting. Two men with titles and buildings, recognition by other leaders, and yet when they speak and when they uh, uh, make uh, claims about foundational biblical Christian truths, it, it doesn't seem to quite add up. So how do we know who is part of the church? Who is part of the people of God? Especially when we see in our world there are, there are all sorts of people who, who are mixed up in this thing we call church who are making all sorts of competing claims about foundational, unarguable truths of Scripture. Well, the problem of determining who the true people of God are, who the true gathered people are, is not a new problem. In fact, it was a problem even in the Old Testament. The Old Testament where God calls for himself a people, a nation, the nation of Israel, a people who are meant to represent him on earth by living holy, set-apart, different lives, who are meant to take his word, his law, uh, and live it out to be a, a, a light to the nations. The nation of Israel, we read in the Old Testament, is a terrible failure at that. And so we eventually get to the story of exile, where uh, this nation is, is overthrown and uh, led away from the promised land because of their sin, their failure to be the people of God, to shine brightly. But as all that is going on, and as the prophets bring rebuke to the people of God, uh, this idea starts to develop of a, of a remnant, this small but true group of uh, the nation of Israel whose hearts are right, uh, a group of people who are truly faithful, a group of people that actually contains not only a small group of, of people within Israel, but in fact some others from other nations who actually trust the Lord. Anyone who trusts and obeys God, we start to see, can be part of this community of God. And so when we get to the final two books of the Old Testament, in Zechariah and Malachi, we see this idea is developed more fully. Uh, we read the prophet uh, Zechariah say in chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, I will not deal with the remnant people of Israel as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an, as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. 
God has called this remnant people who trust him to be a blessing. He's going to save them from the, 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 the pain that they've experienced in exile. In Malachi 3, on that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. This is of the remnant. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous, the remnant, and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. There are people who are righteous, who trust God, take him at his word, who seek to live it out, who keep on serving him, and there are those who do not. And in the New Testament, the idea of this true people of God based on repentance and faith is picked up on and carried through. So in uh, chapter 11 of Romans, Paul talks about the remnant of Israel and how through this chosen people, God is going to include all who believe in Jesus through faith into the gathered people of God, what we call the church. And these faithful people who accept Jesus as Lord, whether Jew or Gentile, no matter what racial background they have, these are the people who make up the church. But Jesus makes it clear as we heard in our reading today from Matthew 13, uh, that, that there are still going to be, it's still going to be a mixed bag in the church while we await for Christ's return. So he talks, as we heard Kerry uh, in our reading today, about wheat and weeds being uh, together in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. This parable, which Kerry read to us before, is a parable that comes directly after the parable of the sower. You might be more familiar with that one, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Some fell on the path, some in the rocky soil, some with the weeds, some on the good soil. And that parable back at the start of Matthew 13, we know uh, is a parable about how people respond to the word of God. And as Jesus finishes that parable in verse 23, he says these words, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. There are, the church is full of people who respond positively to the good news of Jesus and who allow the word of God to produce fruit in their life. This next parable tells us that Satan puts people in the church to try and lead us astray. He, he goes around and sows weeds amongst the people. And God, for our good, leaves them there so that we don't get caught up in uh, the, the, the 
the fire of getting rid of them. God leaves them there until harvest time, until he returns. The wheat and the weeds, the fruitful people of God, but interspersed with these, these weeds, these people who are not letting their lives be shaped by the faithful word of God. Uh, Jesus talks about this problem of the church being uh, a, a mixed bag later in Matthew. Chapter 25, verses 31 to 33, I'll read them to you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a, separ as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. At the return of Christ, he's going to gather the harvest and separate the wheat from the weeds. He's going to gather the harvest and separate the sheep from the goats. The church is the true people of God, yes. The church is, is made up of people who've uh, given their lives and their hearts to the Lord Jesus and are allowing his lordship uh, to transform uh, them. But it's clear that Jesus tells us to expect that the church, when we look around and see groups of people sitting in pews or on their couches watching TVs or phones or computer screens is going to be full of a mixed bag. And this mixed bag of the church of God has led scholars to, to helpfully uh, to distinguish between the visible and invisible church. Uh, it starts with Augustine. Invisible church, a, a term that is used to describe all believers in Jesus Christ, past, present and future. That is, the true uh, things that the Bible teaches about the church, uh, that it is the gathered people of God, that it is the people of God birthed by the gospel and true faith in that gospel. This group of people whether they're from Lindisfarne or somewhere else in Australia, somewhere else in the world, whether they're from the present, the past or the future, together we are part of God's true church, the invisible church, the church that we'll only see clearly at the return of Christ when he separates the sheep from the goats. But we can have a sense of whether we're part of the true church. If we trust Jesus, if we follow his teachings, and if we believe him to be our Lord and Saviour and ask his spirit to continue to help us and transform us. This is the act of a member of the true church, the invisible church. But as Jesus warns, when we look around with our eyes in the here and now, we're actually going to see the visible church 
which is going to be made up of wheat and weeds, of sheep and goats. It's a mixed bag. The visible church is a a term that scholars use to describe the visible human organisation that supports Christians to live out their faith and trust in Jesus and that sometimes is not that helpful if it goes astray because the visible church is local, organised and flawed. The invisible church is the true church. It, It exists outside time past, present, future, and it is perfect. There is no one in that church who shouldn't be there. And it is true to say that anyone who loves Jesus and devotes their life to him and seeks to follow him may be part of the invisible church before they become part of the visible church, though one would expect in normal circumstances that Uh, eventually those who are part of the invisible church while they find themselves here and now on this earth would find themselves part of a visible church. And of course, there will be goats and weeds in the visible church. In fact, even amongst its leadership. So where do you stand in this church of God or you are part of Jesus' church if you believe and trust in him as Lord and Saviour if you believe that Jesus truly lived and truly died and has truly saved you if you've chosen to repent of your sin if you believe that in fact your ways are not God's ways And that you need to return from living a selfish life to living a Godward life. Then you're part of the church, the true church. If you seek to submit your life to the Bible and work hard to understand what it means and and how to apply its teachings to your life. This is what makes you part of the church. And what doesn't make you part of the church is claiming ownership of one of these buildings or buttoning up your collar and putting a white thing across your neck or wearing robes or not wearing robes. All of those things secondary to the word of God that points us to the Lordship of Christ. As we heard last week, the church is the gathered people of God, birthed by the good news about Jesus, his life, death and resurrection. And as we've seen in these past six weeks, as we've gathered virtually, COVID-19 can change the way that we do this whole visible church thing. But it can never change our membership of God's glorious church, his invisible church, the church of all time, made up of believers past, present and future. And the road into that church is simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord.